Hello and welcome back to Talk Gnosis, your favorite web talk show about Gnosticism, esotericism, the occult, mysticism, meditation, the Gurdjieff work, mystical Christianity, and a whole lot of other things, and whatever we feel like talking about, and whatever you feel like talking about. That's right, it's time for our monthly Q&A episode. It is already uh let me check the calendar here the the fourth wednesday in november i can't believe how the time flies and it's already november 25th so uh we got a great show tonight because we have uh our favorite guests which is me and bishop laney hello bishop. <laughs> hello deacon how are you doing well, you know, pretty good for life in the Konoma. You know, it's it's always I always got to put that asterisk there. But uh, I it, I also feel guilty. I think I've said this before on the show that I'm I'm basically doing pretty good in some ways, but better than usual. But you know, that there'll be I'll, I'll get kicked in the pants soon enough. That so the cosmos well, will step in. What an exciting weekend! Um, yeah. I ord I ordained, I consecrated a bishop, and ordained a deacon. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. In fact, former co-host of Technosis, Bishop Kenneth Canterbury, came up from Florida, oh, and wow. um, we were able to, uh, you know, do the ordinations here. It was very exciting um, to see everybody. And um, normally, I wouldn't have been doing an, an ordination under these circumstances, but we've got some needs here in the community, and it was time to to bring Joshua Novak um, up to elevate him to the office of bishop, and then um, Adam Grossheider to the office of, of deacon, because we've got a lot going on here in Chicago. Yeah, well, Axios, and congratulations to both of them. Thank you. And, and, both, and both are for the, for the local community, both the Chicago centers. Uh, yeah, you both both are here in Chicago. I've been working with them for a long about six years. I've yep. been working with both of them, and uh, you know, it's we've we've had a long, strange trip, and we're looking at an even stranger journey in the future. <laughs> but that's okay. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that the light of Gnosis is shining bright in Chicago. Thank you. Thank you. And how are well, things in Montreal? Besides, that- okay for you. Yes, you know, okay for me, and we're pretty locked down here, so yeah. you know, we're doing better than, than than the U.S. and many parts of the U.S. and many parts of the world. But at the same time, per capita, Quebec actually has one of the highest rates of infections and death. Um, mm. So it's it's not a full lockdown like what happened during the winter. Some businesses are allowed to be open. Uh, there's if you live by yourself, you're allowed to have guests. There's a few little uh, catches to the lockdown, but it's it's pretty. It, we're in quarantine. Now, the good part about this, and perhaps you can relate, you know, being in the Windy City, being in Chicago, is that winter is coming, and I don't leave my house anyways, you know, for half the year in Montreal. So there's there's a bright side to that as well. Yeah, well, you know, we've kind of gotten used to it in Chicago. I think, you know, what we do have here is this amazing indoor culture, and partly in response to our bad weather. Um, and it's not just the winter. It's the summer. It gets hot and humid. So... You know, we've yeah. really developed an indoor culture here, which is great. The trouble is, is that uh, with the lockdown and, and the, the, the cautions that are happening right now, we're not really set up for outdoor cultures. Even though we have a lot of green space in Chicago and that was built into Chicago, um, we don't have a lot of outdoor culture. So that that's proving to be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Montreal is, you 
has a, a large indoor culture. It, they did build in a lot of green spaces, and they do do a lot of stuff outside. The city's well known for out, outside activities and festivals. So a lot of those were canceled or radically changed, but at least people are used to to being outside, even during the winter that they do a lot of outdoor activities. Um, you know, unfortunately for, for the local community, I was doing a lot of traveling during the summer. So I have recently started doing uh, online uh, meetings and meditation for uh, uh, my Gnostic parish every two weeks. Um, but I'll put in a commercial for something else, Lainey, because this, this is sure. a good reminder. I've, I've done... I, I've been paid. Uh, I have a little bit of training, and, and I've been paid to to teach secular mindfulness meditation. And I was doing a group for that Sunday mornings before the lockdown, and then obviously I stopped. So I am doing that online, and that's every Sunday morning. It's Myland Meditation Dub dot substack.com anybody who wants to come come on in you know i give a little bit of instruction we meditate for an hour as i said it's secular but if you're religious or spiritual or mystic or gnostic you'll get a lot out of it as well and Excellent. if you're yeah, so it's it's for everybody. Um, so uh, I'm going to do that every Sunday I can, which will probably be every Sunday. So I'll drop the notes into that. It's uh, We started up a couple of weeks ago, and it, it's been going well. Cool. So cool. I guess we should get down to we it. We should. Uh, people have questions. I, people have questions that they need answered. I'm looking at these. The, this is a collection. Some of these are new. It's a mix of new and old ones we didn't get to in the past shows. And I really hope we don't repeat any, but we'll find out. And, and of course, people do ask you know some of the same questions over and over again. And we love that. Don't stop. Uh, if you do ask a question that's been answered before, I will send you the show where we talked about it. But let's start with a good one from OrCloud. What is your interest in Gnostic cosmology, if any? I'll start on that one, Lainey. Uh, perhaps we'll agree or disagree, but I have a very strong interest in Gnostic cosmology. Many Gnostics do because the cosmology, perhaps, almost certainly on several, some level is literally true. But of course, we can't talk about this stuff in a literal sense because we don't have the words for it. So it's never literal, okay? <laughs> because that, you know, we, we can't conceive of the unknown father uh, uh emanating the aeons right that this is not mm -hmm. this is not this is happening in non-practical geometry <laughs> in realities that we can't conceive of so it always has a layer of of metaphor of myth of uh psychological import no matter what we try to do however it's as above so below in gnosticism's in many forms of gnosticism in my understanding of gnosticism human beings are uh, a condensation a mirror a mini version a mini model of the universe so whatever the cosmology says what it is actually saying what it's also saying it's talking about you your life you right here and now in the modern world so Obviously, I'm very interested in Gnostic cosmology because it's telling me important things about where I came from, where I'm going, what this reality is like, what I should do, how I should practice. And I've said this many times. I'm a broken record. I think we even mentioned this last show. Uh, but when it comes to the secret book of John, I often see that as a meditation guide. Like there, there are lessons in there just for, uh, for practice. So Gnostic cosmology... For me, pretty important, it seems like for the ancient Gnostics as well. That's why they seem to be so big on cosmology and why they're always talking about it and why they have these grand myths. Uh, what, what do you think, Bishop? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, I think one of the things you bring out is you, you, it's hard to be literal when you don't even have words. I mean, when you consider that you have this unknown God, a knowable, un, you know, God, 
um, who has a thought. And that yeah. thought is Barbello, the, the forethought. Well, you've got to be able to think about something that happened before thought. Yep. And um, because it, you know, it, at one point, the uh, the unknown god had a thought. There was apparently no thought before that. And you have this notion of, um, and we talked, we've talked about this about how much of that mythos it, you're looking at cognitive processes. Yes. And, and so it's really, in a sense, a cosmology of consciousness. Yep. Um, one of the things that I'm very interested in is the Norse mythology, yeah. um, in which you also have that evolution of consciousness. You have fire and ice coming together in some you know, hideous explosion. You end up with the original proto-frost giant, uh, Mir, who you know, basically just lies around and does nothing. And but eventually the the giants come out of his body, and, then, and there's also a cosmic cow that feeds yep. the mirror. And then the you know you've got this process of licking out beings, and eventually you end up with Odin and yep. his and and his brothers, Vili and Ve. Some people say that they're 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 kind of a trinity. Some people say that they're separate brothers. But the the point is is that Odin and, and his brothers, their consciousness, and that's when you have the first. Uh, first, human-like beings, although eventually humans evolve from trees, which I think is also interesting given the role that trees play in Gnostic cosmology, um, explicitly Gnostic cosmology. Um, yep. But you have this, you know, this notion, this evolution of consciousness, and that's that's, and then, then you have an Odin who seeks wisdom and seeks gnosis. Um, and I, again, that's not the standard Gnostic version, but by golly, that sure does resonate. Yep. Oh, hundred percent. And you have, you know, for you have, for example, you have the you have the physical world or the various worlds are made up of the slaughtered body of this original proto frost, frost giant that didn't have any thought. Yep. Um, so it's it's the, the cosmology is very interesting to me, but I'm a lot more interested in looking at more recent mythologies. Um, or not, not even necessarily more more recent, but but mythologies uh, from other cultures that often point to this arising of consciousness. At what point did consciousness arise? When did we go from, um, you know, the Titans clashing with each other, then to these more evolved Olympians? Um, there's this, there's this process we see in mythology all over the place. The Gnostic cosmologies are interesting uh, and very interesting to me, but I'm also interested in seeing that evolution of consciousness throughout different world mythologies. Oh, yeah. I think that's very important as well. And and as Gnostics, you know, the, the Gnostics were always encountering, commenting on other traditions and <laughs> reinterpreting them. And I think improperly, there, there's this idea that Gnosticism is not actually a religion, but uh, a hermeneutic commentary upon religion itself. It, it tears apart, reinvestigates, makes you rethink all religious ideas. And that idea was big in the 60s. It's fallen out of favor, but I, I'm a big fan of it. So I think actually it is really important to, you know, not just pick up the Nag Hammadi, uh, because uh, we live in a big world and there is a, a lot of wisdom out there. And, and I'm not yeah. saying that we should wave the Gnostic wand over it or culturally appropriate or misunderstand myths, but we often do find um, 
some very Gnostic perspectives uh, in other uh, uh, traditions, in other mythologies, in other cosmologies, and, and they can inform us as Gnostics. And, and also, oh, sorry, uh, I, I was just going to say that I've been talking a lot about um, origin, the origin myths, but just looking at the cosmological model of Gnosticism, again, you know, when you have something like, I think it's the Apocalypse of Paul and uh, Secret Book of Isaiah, you know, you have these ascents and you have people going to heaven and then they realize it's the demiurge is heaven. So mm -hmm. the idea of us being trapped in this fallen world and we are surrounded by a fake god, again, some of this is symbolic, some of it's quote unquote literal, just the idea of where we are right here, right now, I find that very important. Um, I'm sorry, the last thing I was going to say that I think you will like, when we're looking at, at Gnostic myths and not all, only staying 2,000 years ago, we've been talking a lot about the tales of Beelzebub to his grandson. Right. Did I get that title right? And yeah. that is a book of deliberate myths, right? And and cosmologies. Well, I think Beelzebub's tales to his grandson uh, was also intended, though, as what Mr. Gurdjieff called a legomanism. The idea was is that he wanted to get his ideas put down in a way that and shoot it into the future so okay. that um, people well into the future might be able to fathom the gist of what he was trying to say. I mean, there's a and there's a longstanding debate argument within the Gurdjieff community, but about this, but the idea was that none of his that none of his pupils were qualified to fully bring fullness of his work. So he had to preserve it in some way before he died and get it off into the future. And he said, you know, perhaps one day normal people, you know, simple people will read my book and understand it. Mm -hmm. um, so that is something that he did with this modern day uh, book of collection of stories, myths. But I think that it, he went beyond mythology there. I think that he was deliberately trying to bring about, first of all, bring bring his teachings to people, but also was attempting to bring about uh, work, as he calls it, because the the the, fund, the foundation of the Gurdjieff work is work, that you are actually engaging mind, body, and feeling together. And he prescribed very, you know, very specific ways of reading his books um, so that you could uh, understand what he was trying to what he was trying to do. So, the book is not just a collection of myths. It's something that he put together to bring his fullness of his teaching to people. It was very deliberate in that sense. It wasn't just somebody writing down what a scribe said. He very deliberately wrote that book for the, for the, for a specific purpose. Uh, but he also intended the very reading or the consumption of that book to be an, a spiritual practice itself. Exactly. Well, the next question we have is from Alk the Mist, and it's, is Jesus a Gnostic prophet? If yes, was he sent to teach us who the true, true God is and to get us to stop worshiping the, dem worshiping the Demiurge? If no, who he be? Take it away, Bishop. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that one. Um, look, I don't, I don't regard Jesus. I mean, I, 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 if there is the work of prophecy, there is a gift of prophecy. And it is a fruit of the spirit, um, or it is a gift of the spirit that a person can have. And, and I believe that comes um, from the Christ spirit. Um, I don't think he was merely a prophet. I mean, I, I, I think that there was, he, he embodied um, the divine in ways that many of us simply do not. While I do believe there is a spark of the divine in all of us, and I think that's one of the, one of the 
more positive, hopeful, and joyful things about Gnosticism is that we do have that spark of divinity in us. I believe that Jesus embodied divinity in some very, some very different ways. But I think that he, he did come and incarnate uh, for, in, in part to instruct his disciples and to provide a teaching uh, that could likewise be passed down through the ages um, to empower people. And then, and then over that time, I think that there were prophets who came after Jesus uh, to also kind of continue to fulfill that work of Jesus's. So that that's what, what I would say. Yeah. And I'd have to say too, that I think perhaps compared to if we're particularly looking at the Abrahamic tradition, or perhaps we should call it the Gnostic Abrahamic tradition, that Jesus would be different than perhaps some other prophets. Though if, yeah. if I really wanted to get into it or check Nag Hammadi, you know, some of the other prophets are uh, seen as uh, embodiments of the Logos, uh, Seth being a big one. So the same mm -hmm. spirit that was in Seth was also in Jesus. But yeah, basically, uh, uh, for me and for many Christian Gnostics, uh, Jesus is a prophet and a teacher, uh, but also an embodiment, a unique embodiment of the divine. Yeah. Um, of course, there are non-Christian Gnostics. There are some now. There's modern mm -hmm. non-Christian Gnostics, and there's uh, the Mandeans uh, of Iraq and Iran and the Middle East, and uh, they they they're not big fans of Jesus. They no, actually they, they like the, John the Baptist real well. They like John uh, the Baptist, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 not necessarily required in Gnosticism, and and the discussion about non Christian Gnosticism in the ancient world, which I've also spoken about many times, I believe such a thing did exist. So, you know, there would have been Gnostics that, that didn't necessarily uh, 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 think Jesus was all that. Um, now, to get us to stop worshiping the Demiurge, yeah, that, yes, as always, I sound like a broken record, but the Demiurge is not the God of the Jews or Yahweh, right? So would Jesus want us to get to the true God and stop worshiping the Demiurge? Obviously, yes. Um, and also, the Demiurge is more than a supernatural power that, you know, sits above the earth in, in that third heaven I mentioned earlier, on his throne, you know, making bad things happen. Uh, Jesus came to oppose the powers of empire, right? The powers of empire yeah. are, the de are the Demiurge, are an aspect of the Demiurge. Uh, we often worshipped uh, uh, empire. <laughs> so in sometimes very literal <laughs> yeah, ways. Very yes. literal ways, yeah. Yes. So when we talk about Jesus reorientating us, this is not just a Gnostic teaching. You'll find this in a lot of philosophical uh, Christianity, in a lot of liberal Christianity, uh, in a lot of thinkers from the last 2,000 years, that, that Jesus has come to reorientate us from the powers of empire mm -hmm. to the true God. So, and that that's why I love seeing that message pop up in all sorts of mainline Christian places, because it is at the end of the day, also a very uh, Gnostic message. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, the other thing that I would say is, you know, to keep us from stop, from not worshiping the Demiurge, I think that's, it's very important, as you pointed out, that the, the God of the Jews and, 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 the, and the God that we often see in Christianity is not necessarily by any means the Demiurge, or certainly not the fullness of the Demiurge. Um, that, uh, you know, it just simply, it simply is not the case. How could that God be um, when that, when those gods have been, created and shaped their own mytho their own mythologies have been created and shaped by human beings who have the spark of divinity in them. Yeah. 
you know, there, there is certainly a, a leaden quality to them, uh, to, to these, to these gods. Um, they, they have contradictions and imperfections, but there's also some re remarkably beautiful aspects to these, to these divinities. Um, and of course they're going to have to have that because that spark of divinity, real divinity is in the people who actually created these myths. Yes. And these liturgies. So I, I, I think I see it as being mixed in. It's, it's not by any means black or white. And in fact, I don't even see Gnosticism as dualistic anymore yeah. um, because it can't be dualistic if spark of divinity is in all living humans. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, the, we need to do a good show uh, about non-duality <laughs> and everything around it be because I, you know, I basically agree with you, and and I, I've moved on in many ways from dualism. Though I, I think I've said this on the show, and it's something that that uh, some people in the AJC like saying uh, quite a bit. I, I don't know whose line it is originally. Perhaps uh, the Father Jordan Stratford's, perhaps um, uh, the Bishop Tim's, or perhaps you know we stole it from somebody else. But but duality is a helpful tool, and then and then you must move beyond it. And most of the Nagamati texts. Uh, the Cephian material and the Cephians are particularly thought of as the most dualistic. Is not dualistic. It is at the end of the day monistic. Uh, there is, uh, there, and that goes for for most Gnosticism. We get it mixed up with uh, with some dualistic movements like the Zoroastrians uh, or uh, the later Man Manichaeans, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where, where there is where there's two equal powers, one of goodness and one of evil, one of light, one of darkness, but the pleroma is the fullness. Yeah. It pervades everything. So <laughs> that's that for me. Uh, you know, dualism is is an important uh, 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 tool, right? But when when you finish using a tool, you don't keep holding on to it, right? You don't walk around with a hammer all day long after you've built a house. Ideally, um, you don't. Yes, yes, you would get some strange looks. Eventually, you have to pick up a mop and a, and a pan and, and and clean it up. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the next one's a fun one, uh, and I'll let you, let you take it away first, uh, Lainey, which is, what is the weirdest place that you've seen overt Gnostic references? And that's from SPDK187. Oh, Lord. Um, overt Gnostic references. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things, but they're not by any means um, weird. I mean, I remember, you know, I was not far into the matrix when I, of course, I realized exactly what I was looking at. Um, and I got very excited about it, but it, that was you know, not, it's not weird to find this in the movies. Um, I can't, you know, I, I, I guess I just can't uh, think of anything particularly weird, although I'm not a huge consumer of pop culture well we did do that show on the truman show once yes it was actually a christmas special and um it the truman show was kind of interesting because for people who are adopted like myself the movie very much resonated um yeah. so for many people they saw it as a thing it was they saw it as a commentary on adoption, people who are actually were adopted at birth under a closed record system. Um, but of course, if you, um, you know, if you know about Gnosticism, the Truman show was definitely um, a, a Gnostic fable of sorts. Yes. And yeah, as exactly. I, one of the things I pointed out about, about it, you know, yes, Truman does escape 
but all we know is that he, he, he just, he walks off. He's walking into the very world that allowed the Truman show to happen. Yep. So he's walking in, he, you know, he, he's still under this highly oppressive system. He's just moved from one area to another. And then we're left to know, to try and find out or to think about where did he go from there? Yeah, the, the same here. I, I've got to uh, just rely on on some of those classics, and I'm always pleasantly surprised when I, something like like The Matrix, uh, The Truman Show, some of the other uh, pop culture that, that we've talked about when it's popped up. Uh, a video game called Final Fantasy VII, which came out in 1997, it has uh, overt Gnostic references, and you know I was still just I was quite a bit younger then, but I, I still uh, knew quite a bit about Gnosticism. And I was really happy to see that pop up. Uh, an example that uh, I noticed as well, but uh, something that I, I've, I've kind of kind of have to attribute as well to uh, past guest uh, Dr. Tony Burke is uh, Pinocchio. And I actually have his write-up. Uh, mm -hmm. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, Geppetto is a craftsman, a demiurge. He mm -hmm. makes a creature on the pattern of a human and he wants to make it real. So he wishes on a star to make it happen, which implies some awareness of a heavenly realm as a location of power. While Geppetto sleeps, the evening star transforms into the blue fairy and descends into his home to make his wish come true. The fairy is similar to Sophia, who dwells in the heavenly realm, but sends a series of helpers to bring awareness to humans trapped in the world. So uh, that's, uh, and apparently Dr. Burke uses Pinocchio to teach Gnosticism in his classes. Uh, the Father Tony's uh, used Snow White as an example. <laughs> he sees the Gnostic mythos there. And of course, some of this is, is deliberate and some of it is going to be subconscious because I believe Gnosticism to be true. It's going to bubble up into folk tales, yeah. into mythology, into novels where people don't deliberately put it in. Now, there isn't a secret cabal of Gnostics running the world and creating all our movies and novels as much as I wish that there were. But even if you're not a Gnostic, a lot of artists and writers have been heavily influenced by Gnosticism and they sneak it in because it's a great storytelling engine. So you'll see it pop up all over the place. Um, I will actually recommend one other, if I may, uh, one other, uh, now that I'm thinking about a book that I read maybe about a year and a half ago called Ridley Walker by Russell Holbein. Um, Ridley Walker is a very long novel. It took, it took uh, the author about five years to write. And it is set in a post-nuclear apocalypse Britain about 2,500 years into the future. And society has been, I mean, civilization has been destroyed. You have communities that operate. Um, they are on the verge, this community is now on the verge of a new iron age. Not that they've discovered iron ore, but they are digging enough that they're finding old pieces of machinery. <laughs> and there is a, a young boy named Ridley Walker. Um, he is the son of the connection man. And what happens is, is that the society is operate. There's a kind of a, a kind of a, an oppressive church state government that goes around doing puppet shows as government and religious propaganda. And they come to the communities, they do the puppet show, and the, he, Ridley Walker's father is the connection man. He's the prophet who interprets the shows. And his father is, is, is killed, and, and, and Ridley be becomes the new connection man. And it's a kind of a coming-of-age story in this utterly bizarre world. Um, and for one thing, the, the Russell Hoban, the, the, the author, writes it in this mutilated language 
mutilated British English. Hoban himself, I believe, is American, but he wrote this in this utterly mutilated language. So it's very difficult to read. It's kind of like Beelzebub's tales to his grandson in that in, in that way. Um, very challenging to actually read this because it's a future form of English that is that, that has its source in the utter and complete collapse of civilization. Right. So you've got all this. You've got, well, you have all this stuff going on. You have um, the young Whitley Walker is trying to find his way, and he encounters a puppet from a old Punch and Judy show. And realizes that there was a whole other set. There was a whole other set of puppet shows and stories out there. So he, he goes on this quest uh, toward manhood, and it's absolutely fascinating because we we and and while he's on this quest for manhood, the people around him um, are on the quest of rediscovering, or what they think is discovering, but rediscovering gunpowder. Okay. And so it, it's you've basically got this you've got this buried knowledge you have a catastrophic event that has destroyed knowledge destroyed communities has turned people into not very nice creatures and now there is an opportunity for new knowledge and new enlightenment but it can go one of several ways and there's a you know there's there's a, a standing mythos and then there's now a possibly a new competing mythos at a very dangerous time, and uh, I absolutely would recommend it. I did find you know certainly there the notion of the buried themes of the buried older traditions, the uh, enlightenment coming through digging, all of it. Um, comes together, but I would definitely recommend Ridley Walker. I will just tell you, if you are an American and you are not familiar with British expressions, it will be a serious slog. Yeah. Um, two more I'll, I'll shout out quickly, which I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I just can't remember, so I'll say it again, which is uh, a movie from, I think, 2009, from, from the last decade, uh, called The Nines, with... Um, uh, oh, geez, uh, Megan McCarthy and uh, the lead's escaping me. Uh, anyways, it's uh, it's free. It's three short movies, three short stories, all in one, with uh, the same lead actor uh, being in all three. But he's he's three different people, or he thinks that he's three different people. And it was just a movie that uh, I was on Netflix at the time. Okay, it came out in two thousand seven. Sorry, Ryan Reynolds is the mm -hmm. uh, the lead, and it uh, it turns out to be uh, a hugely gnostic movie. And it was one that I just randomly picked, you know, watched with my partner one night, and and then I was just watching and being like, oh wow, this is incredibly gnostic. This is so cool. And and now I've actually because it is sort of a fun movie, and it's one you know, unlike The Matrix or or the Truman show that's a little bit underground not a lot of people know it uh so i so I, I like recommending that one and i've actually shown it here in montreal as as part of our, our gnostic nights um the final one which which i won't comment on because it's been again many many years too many years for me to go into depth but it's something i want to reread and explore but uh there is a theory that that moby dick is a Gnostic metaphor, deliberately so. Because uh, Melville was very interested in Gnosticism. They didn't have as many texts, of course, at the end of the 1800s, but they there, there were some uh, floating around. Mm -hmm. And uh, he did he did write some, some um, 
overtly Gnostic poetry. So the, there is actually quite a bit of scholarship. If you just Google Moby Dick Gnostic, uh, a ton of papers will come up talking about this this topic. And, and it's not one of those subconscious bubbling ups or a later comparison. The thesis is, is that he deliberately wanted to make a Gnostic text. So I've been I meaning would, to reread Moby Dick for a long time. So, <laughs> Well, I saw Moby Dick the opera. Ah. And now that I'm thinking about it, you know, for me, it was an initiation into the mysteries of men and who men are. But I can definitely see the Gnostic aspect of it as well. When you have, of course, you know, the, uh, Captain Ahab, he's, 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 you know, he's trying to avenge. He is singular. He's got singular minded on a lost appendage. And he is willing to sacrifice everything for a lost appendage. Um, and there's that sense of you're chasing after the, the material, that this, this kind of uh, oppressive materialism. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see that. But uh, I'll reread and uh, get back. We'll have a, we'll have a good jaw, and yeah, the opera sure sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah the opera is, is amazing. If you can, if you can, I don't know if there is a video of it out there. It is astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing. I absolutely recommend it, one hundred percent. Uh, okay, next question from Ceaseless Becoming. My main issues of Gnosticism is that it seems to promote escapism through the promise of refuge in a better non-physical realm that we supposedly really belong to and encourage people to hate their bodies by characterizing them as prisons for their souls, which seems both uh, pretty unhealthy to me. I'd be interested in hearing counter-arguments to those. Um, that I'll start with this one, which is, yeah, that sounds like a downer. Um... The thing is, is I didn't choose to be a Gnostic. I prefer not to be. Uh, I, I, I hope he doesn't mind me quoting him. But Father Tony has said that you know he he would prefer not to be a Gnostic. He sometimes tells interested Gnostics, maybe you don't want to do it. It's hard. Find something easier. But I, I don't feel like I have any choice. Like I don't feel like that. Uh, I, I have. Uh, we do live in an age where I can belong to any religion that I want to, but I believe that this is the the most correct interpretation uh, without saying that, you know, other religions are wrong. <laughs> the other thing, too, is, so yeah, that can be a downer, but that's that might be how it is. But we've also talked about how, how this is, at the end of the day, mythology. And... And I, I do like looking through a, a psychological uh, a union lens sometimes, right? Where, where the Paloma really is something special that, that's in all of us. It is that divine spark. It mm -hmm. is that collective unconsciousness. And we don't escape the prisons of our body and the prisons mm -hmm. of this world by necessarily beaming up in a physical, literal sense, but by experiencing the Paloma here and now. And we talked about ascent practices. The Gnostics were, were very, very, very um, uh, stringent and obvious about that the ascent practices have to be done here and now. <laughs> you do them here and now. The idea being that you have access to the pleroma, pleroma is the fullness, to, to, to the wholeness, to the healing, to the escape from the prison here and now. So we want to understand these things you know, metaphorically. And for the hating the bodies bit, uh, th there's a number of scholars who have looked at Gnosticism through not necessarily a, a symbolic lens, but a 
a cultural studies lens, which is really looking at when the Gnostics are criticizing the world, they don't mean cute bunnies and the trees, they mean the world system, the, the, mm-hmm. the Black Iron Prison, the empire that I mentioned yeah. earlier, right? If we didn't have empire, we would all live in, in heaven. The Pleroma would be here and now. So and they're doing it both in a symbolic sense so that Rome doesn't come and cut their heads off, but they're also doing it in the only language that they understand, right? When, when we're talking about the, yeah. the Gnostics writing in metaphor, that they also lived 2000 years ago and the, the, the words of religion is in the familiar terms and familiar ideas from the religions and cultures around them is how they're going to express themselves. So when we talk about the, the body as a prison, there's some out there who have actually said the way that the body is understood culturally is a prison. And that's actually something that a lot of uh, people, particularly progressives, but all over the political spectrum, have come to to accept and think about in the modern world, right? That are that that the specific ideas about what a body should be and how a body should be and what a body should look like, that could become a prison, mm-hmm. not literally the body. And I'm sure many people listening have probably experienced something like that. Um, but that's that's what I got to say about that, uh, Bishop. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, my my take on it is, I mean, again, it's, it, it, Gnosticism is not something that I would have necessarily chosen. I mean, I, Father Tony, that, that's funny he says that because there's a tradition I know in Judaism that if a person tries to convert, uh, rabbis are supposed to turn them away three times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The idea is, no, being a Jew is very difficult. You are under no obligation to be a Jew as long as you lead a good and, and moral life. Uh, we have an obligation to turn you away from this path because this is a very rigorous path and you're just going to make things difficult for yourself. Um, in my case, you know, being Gnosticism, Gnosticism is something that I encountered and that resonated with me. Um, for me, I, I see it as a very joyful path uh, because the way I see it is it can it, it is something that uh, acknowledges there is a spark of divine that got into me and in every other human being. Exactly. That is a very joyful thing. And what that enables us to do is we have the ability to work with and develop and recognize and see that divine spark, that dis- divine fire in, in ourselves using our bodies, using our minds, using our hearts. And we can work, these things can work together to inflame that sacred spark. Yeah. You know, the Jonites, we talk, you talk a lot about this, the sacred flame. Well, um, when you can get your body and your mind and, and, your, and your emotions to work together with that, that flame can really be stoked. And it's quite something. And it's also, as I said, it's something incredibly uh, important in that it permeates everything, that you cannot have a God, you cannot have a God that is uh, a, a God of a human religion that is purely a demiurge or that is that that is the demiurge in disguise because how can human beings create a god that you know that is not god uh because the human beings have that spark of the divine in them now i may disagree with other religions concept of god there may be some things that i don't like but i can also see real beauty in in those traditions so for me uh this is not at all escapism it's the ability and and that through the through that fanning that flame inside me then that is a light 
that can shine on empire that shines that light on empire yeah. and if i if i was completely in a state of murkiness and i could i couldn't see that then i would just go along bumping on through the 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 hard edges and the things that I, I have to go through as I walk through this life with that spark and that light of gnosis, I am able to see things. Now I don't always want to see those things <laughs> because those things are not pretty. Yeah. And we talk a lot about empire on this show. Uh, Philip K. Dick, modern Gnostic prophet, he spoke quite a bit about saying the empire never ended the Roman empire. Yeah. It, you know, this, this is the, this is, this is empire. Empire has never ended and we're seeing the evil. We're seeing remarkable, we're seeing things we don't want to see, but we can see them. That is a good and joyful thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next question uh, from Or Cloud. Which, which Gnostic sects influence your worldview the most? Now, Bishop, do you want to start with that one? I'm, I have to confess, the ancient Gnostic sects, I mean, there, there's some good, there's some interesting stuff there. Um, don't really resonate with me. Uh, it's just old. It's old stuff that made sense in that time and in that place. And uh, they were living traditions in their time. And I think that they offer inspiration now, but I think there's been a lot that's happened since then. Yeah. And so for me, when I, you know, when I look at some of the esoteric traditions, for me, the, the fourth way, uh, the, the Gurdjieff work, which was, I think, a Gnosticism, put repackaged for modern times. Um, these are, you know, that I, that I resonate with a lot more. I don't, you know, the idea of looking at some of these ancient schools that responded to specific conditions in specific times using specific languages. Um, you know, again, they, they, they kind of do leave me cold They're, It's just not, I don't really identify with it because it's just very strange. It's very alien. Yes. Yeah, and, and that is something that I think myself and a lot of our listeners and watchers always go back to 2,000 years ago, 1,700 years ago to Nag Hammadi. And, you know, even tonight when we're talking about cosmologies, now this isn't as modern as Gurdjieff, who was in many ways a quintessential 20th century person, you know, mm -hmm. or as you're Very saying, he's writing so. for the future, a 21st, yeah. 22nd century person. Yeah. So so somebody's still pretty old, but I'm quite fond of the marginists and, and Martinez de yeah. Pasquale. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's the late 1700s, early 1800s. Uh, his his cosmology, when we're talking about the cosmology, I think is is one of the best summations of, of the Gnostic myth and, and a unique take on it. That's somewheres between Nag Hammadi and Lurianic Kabbalah and something of his own. So, yeah. so yeah, uh, um, that's one of the things I was thinking about when I was talking about modern esotericism. I mean, there's some yeah. there's some really excellent stuff there. Yes. Um yeah, I mean, you know, why not? You know, that that that's working out well. Um, I, I think one thing that people sometimes have is they have a fundamentalist mindset. Yeah. And so they pick up Nagamati and they, they want to treat it as if this is a, you know, these are the instructions for everybody at all times. That's not the case. These were specific groups within a specific context who are doing the best that they could. Um, the thing of it is, is that there have been specific people in specific groups in specific contexts who are doing the best they could. And they've been doing that for many thousands, you know, for thousands of years now. Yeah. And there's some who are very modern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Now, to go back, because I think I think that this is what Orcloud wants to hear. So, so more recently, the the Martinus and Martinez de Pasquale. Uh, I, I, as I said, I really like his his cosmology and and some of his thinking. Um, and uh, his student uh, Louis Claude Saint Martin, a great mystic, and somebody who can also, I think, go over the lines between mainline Christianity, mystical Christianity, and Gnosticism. Right? Uh, uh, Saint Martin sort of can cover all three of those. Uh, but if, if we're going to go ancient, uh, obviously uh, the Joannites. <laughs> I'm going to say the Joannites, um, the 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 Gnostics who produced the Gospel of John, which, in my opinion, and in the opinion of of some very good scholars, is a Gnostic text. The Demiurge is even hiding in it, uh, and obviously. You know, if you've been watching this show, you know I'm going to say the Cephians really, really dig those Cephians. But but there's a lot to there's a lot to to say about the Valentinians and going up to that that earlier question about the 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 body as a prison, right? You know, the Valentinian mythology is is quite a bit softer, and the Demiurge isn't a bad guy. And you could definitely reinterpret Valentinian mythology and cosmology to to understand the world as a place where gods are born right we we are the, the spark within us is also a seed this world is is the testing ground so for us to ascend and embrace our own godhood and mm -hmm. i think that is that is definitely a, a legitimate uh, understanding of the the valentinian uh, uh mythos so the thing with the ancient texts and the ancient writings is in my opinion it is it's good when you when you're a Gnostic to, to be flexible and open, right? You don't want to. Not everything can be Gnosticism. You can't just believe anything and everything. Although maybe you can. Who am I to say? But you have to be flexible, yeah. and because because from the very beginning, Gnosticism was a, a syncretic uh, religion that drew in a whole bunch of stuff. And as I said, may not even be a religion. Might just be commentary upon religions. And uh, us as modern. Fanfic. Fanfic, yeah, and, and like Bishop Laney was saying, you know, these are texts from a completely different cultural context from two thousand years ago. They're fragmentary. We don't even know if there were. We don't like the Cephians, the Joannites, the Valentinians. For the most part, are are scholarly creations. <laughs> we don't know much yeah. about these sects. So, so you do have to reinterpret it for yourself, and you have to be kind of flexible and draw upon a few different sects and a few different bodies of thought, in my opinion. And some days you'll wake up on the on the Cephian dualist side of the bed and other days you know you'll transcend that and all will be one so that that's what I've got to say about that and uh, Bishop we're already at the time that we should start wrapping up uh, I, I apologize to our wonderful fans who submitted more questions but that's great for next time we're going to do one of these every month so we will have uh, uh another q a and if you want to ask your questions please uh email them to me leave them on the facebook uh put them down below on the youtube i forgot to do the commercial at the top of the show i'm not going to edit it in because the youtube editor is no good perhaps you could donate to patreon and get me help us uh get some gear so my mic doesn't uh, keep peeking out and you won't hear that buzz every time I get excited and so I can properly edit shows. You can uh, actually get like a setup like I have here. That Exactly. So we literally can't do the show without your financial support. We do hire the world's best studio, 99 Perspectives out of Chicago and because uh even though we are incredibly rich writers, all of our riches goes to uh, charity. So uh, and we would feeding not be... the cats <laughs> and feeding the cats. 
so we would not actually be able to present the show without the, the support of dear patrons like you. So for as little as a, a dollar per episode, a dollar per piece of media per month, you can also put a cap on it in case, you know, you could say a dollar per piece of media, but I don't want to spend any more than $4 in case we do yeah. a show a day. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Gnostic. Uh, sign up there and help us spread the light of Gnosis. If you want to do a one-time donation, you can do paypal.me slash Gnostic. And if you're unable to help out, we completely understand. We know that these are especially hard times. So please share the show. Tell people about it with your with your voice. <laughs> Just when you're chatting to your friends, uh, email it to somebody, put it on your social media. Anything like that is a huge help. Like, subscribe, yeah. comment, uh, leave good reviews. Uh, all of this helps us immensely. So, so thank you so much for watching. Thank you for, for those who are able to support financially for supporting us and everybody who's supporting us in other ways. So I, uh, the commercial is done. Uh, I think it is time for me to ascend to the fourth heaven, <laughs> Bishop Laney. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody out there, good night. Good night. Take care, everybody. Bye. <coughs> <coughs> I'm <laughs> sorry.